Amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 11. We'll just look at, um, just look at from verse 27 to 29 quickly there. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 29, which reads, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And the title of my sermon today is Preparing for the Lord's Supper. Preparing for the Lord's Supper. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we get going. Father, um, I thank you. Um, I thank you for you know your, your ordinances in the bible and and help me now just to preach this particular one clearly um accurately help me to to explain it and help me to explain how people can prepare for this and please just fill me with your spirit please uh, help everyone to have attentive ears and hearts today and um and just for all of this to be done in your your name uh, amen. amen so along with uh, along with baptism the, the lord's supper is one of the two main ordinances in the New Testament. And like baptism, it's been changed and abused by the many false churches around. Um, the same dress-wearing weirdos that sprinkle water on babies or draw water crosses on them. Um, they also do crazy things when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Um, but even amongst what are what we consider legitimate churches, full of saved people that love the Lord, there's also a lot of variation as to how the Lord's Supper is done, how it's observed. Um, I want to preach today about how our church, okay, that's our church, Shaw Foundation Baptist Church, believes that the Lord's Supper is to be observed, okay? And, and just to make it clear, you know, this is Shaw Foundation Baptist Church. So many people have come from other churches or come from other, you know, other kind of teachings on the Lord's Supper, but. Uh, this is how our church does it. I'm going to explain to you why our church does it this way and hopefully you'll have open ears to that and not any preconceived ideas um, and, and just listen to what I believe. I believe, you know, is fairly clear as to how we should be doing this. Now, I also want to, you know, preach here especially on how everyone I believe can prepare for next week. Okay, so how you can prepare for next week. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that has a lot of problems, doesn't it? Uh, we went through this as a Bible study, our first Bible study um, from the beginning of last year. We went through this and um, they're doing many things wrong, aren't they? And in chapter 11, he tells them how wrong they're getting the Lord's Supper. Verse 17, it says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. So whatever they're doing is having a negative effect. And we want to make sure that we don't do the same, don't we? Okay, we want to make sure we don't do the same here. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So Paul is saying that there are divisions, that there must be also other heresies considering that some are out in the open. And, and that's quite quite an obvious thing there isn't it you see that when you go to church then there's just open heresies that people are just just talking you know heretical things there's usually a lot more aren't there there's usually a lot more heresies in the background a lot a lot of other things going on now look at verse 20 when you come together therefore into one place this is not to eat the lord's supper for in eating everyone taketh before other his own supper and one is hungry and another is drunken what, have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Now, some could look at verse 20 and say it shouldn't be done as a whole church. 
Now, we don't believe that in our church because if you look at verse 33 to 34, he's corrected them and he's telling them to come together but to wait for everyone, right? It says, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home that you come not together unto condemnation. The rest will I set in order when I come. So in verse 20, he's saying, your potluck feasts aren't the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's what he's saying there. Your potluck feasts are not the Lord's Supper. Verse 21 where it says, for in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, another is drunken. The drunken is referring to being stuffed with food. So remember in chapter 5, he's just told them to kick out anyone who's a drunkard. So he's not saying, oh, by the way, you know, some of you are getting drunk, because he's just said to them that that person should be kicked out of the church, okay? So here it's talking about being stuffed, and I don't know if any of you who do get a bit gluttonous sometimes, you can feel a little bit drunk when you eat too much, can't you? Um, Basically saying here that they're having a potluck where some aren't getting anything because others are piling their plates high. Yeah? Verse 22, what have you not housed to eat and drink and not despise you? The church God has shamed them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. He's saying to have your feast at home instead of at church where you're basically lording it over those that don't either have the food or the homes to eat it in. Right? Now basically saying that their church feasts aren't the Lord's Supper he now reminds them how it should be done. Okay, so in the following verses, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. So, obviously, he's already shown them this before, yeah? yeah? Pre this is a past tense, which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, turn to Luke 22, because Paul is referring here to the Last Supper. Paul is referring to the Last Supper, which we see, well, it's in three of the Gospels, I think, clearly, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Luke 22 here, it says from verse 14, And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I su suffer. So what was the Last Supper? the Passover, right? Yeah, it was the Passover. I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I, su before I suffer. Now keep a finger there and turn to Exodus chapter 12. <coughs> so when God freed the children of Israel from captivity in Egypt, he instituted the <coughs> Passover, which was to be a yearly event. Here in Exodus 12 is just after the previous nine plagues where God through Moses is telling Pharaoh to free his people. So we're in Exodus chapter 12 and from verse 3. He says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbour next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now, as well as being a reminder of their freedom from Egypt, the Passover is a very clear picture of salvation, yeah? Probably the, one of the clearest ones from the Old Testament, isn't it? The, the unblemished lamb here obviously represents the sinless Jesus Christ. 
You don't have to turn to but 1 Peter 1.19 says that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Yeah? It's not one lamb for everyone in terms of we all need to partake in the lamb, don't we? Okay? Everyone needs to partake. Every household it's talked about there, it's an individual thing partaking in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Verse 6 pictures a whole multitude, I believe, calling for and being responsible for the death of, of Christ. Then verse 7, it says, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. Mm. Burning with fire seems to be pretty important here, doesn't it? Yes. Notice that? Pretty important, the burning with fire. And for me, that, that picture is Jesus Christ ascending into hell. And uh, again, look, we know that, that many people seem to have a problem with this teaching. I think it's clear as day in the Bible. If you think about it, all, so many of the, the offerings, the sacrifice, it's all about being a burnt sacrifice, isn't it? Even if you think about Isaac, just, just he's being laid on wood, isn't he? Why is he being laid on wood? He's, he's about to be offered up as a burnt sacrifice as well, isn't he? Now, you don't have to turn it, but Matthew 12, 12, 40, famous verse says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the world's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And that's clearly where hell is. If you think about when the earth opened up and swallowed, you know, um, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and the rest of that, that company, uh, clearly they're swallowed up. The earth opens up and they go directly down into hell. Yeah? Okay, the heart of the earth is where hell is. I believe, I think that's quite clear in Scripture. Acts 2.31 says, He, seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So for his soul not to be left in hell, it had to have been in hell, right? But again, people seem to buck and, and fight this teaching. Um, I don't really know why. And then they start shouting things like, It's heretical! It's, it's a, why? Why is that heretical? The Bible teaches that. But so burnt sacrifice, we see that here. It's talking, it's really important there, isn't it, about the burning, being burnt with fire, anything left, burnt with fire, burnt with fire. We see that time and time again. Okay, and I'm, again, I'm not going to preach on that right now. So let, let's carry on. Verse 11. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So obviously it's something to be taken seriously, eating it in haste. You could say no tarrying with salvation. You could give a picture of that. Because look, when you're given the opportunity, and sometimes that's when we're pleading with people on the doors, aren't we? We're just saying, well, oh, well I'll go away and think about it. You're thinking, look, now is the time, you know. And, and sadly, will people have that? time again not necessarily but some do some do and many people fortunately do third fourth time but it's not always the case but again here I, I don't know I, I see this as well this gives me the impression of someone ready to preach the gospel and you have to turn a bit in Mark 6 when he's sending his disciples out soul winning it says and he called in verse 7 he called unto him the 12 and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only no script, no bread, no money in their purse, and be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. First 11 there gives me that image of that. I think it's someone for me who's, when you're saved, is, there's that, that encouragement, isn't there, that we should be getting saved and going out and getting other people saved. 
Yeah, we should be sharing that. We should be preaching the gospel, not just taking the gospel and that's it, not just taking that free gift of salvation. We should go out and share that, shouldn't we? Uh, verse 11, where we are, says, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So they were saved by the unblemished lamb's blood. Yeah, like we're saved by the blood of Christ. So a clear picture of salvation there. I don't think, I think even for probably newly saved people, you could see that quite clearly. And look, although they did this before the Exodus, it was to be done yearly as a memorial, right? Okay, yearly as a memorial. Verse 14 says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So after the initial Passover meal, they're to only eat unleavened bread. That's bread with no yeast. Verse 16, And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. That's an assembly and in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you no manner of work shall be done in them save that which every man must eat that only may be done of you so they're all to come together as a holy assembly now with all of that in mind go back to Luke 22 which as far as the disciples were concerned was them about to observe the yearly Passover wasn't it yeah they were told to go and prepare a room yeah, for, for them to, to observe the Passover. They're, they think they're about to do that. Luke chapter 22, verse 15. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood which is shed for you. So we don't observe the Passover anymore because Jesus Christ is our Passover. Yeah? That lamb was or has been eternally sacrificed. Yeah? But we at this church believe that the Lord's Supper basically is a continuation or you could say replaces the Passover. And for this reason, we observe it once a year. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper once a year here. Not every week like the Holy Communion at some sort of Church of England church. Not twice a day like in some Catholic churches. They'll go up to twice a day with partaking in Mass. And, and all the bizarre stuff that goes around the weird way that these false churches do it, but also not once a month like many what seem to be saved Baptist churches around, okay? And, and I've been at church, so they do once a month, some do once a quarter. We also believe that it has more significance when it's done once a year. 
don't know about you, but actually when I was young, I went to, you know, and again, it was obviously not, not what we would even call the Lord's Supper. In fact, it was done in the morning. But I went to this Church of England church where they did it every week. And was anyone even, it was just a routine, didn't even think about it. Like all these, in fact, the same sort of church which chants the Lord's Prayer and no one actually has any idea what they're saying and even thinks about it. Well, in the same way, we believe that when you're doing it once a year as well, that it has some real significance, doesn't it? Something you prepare for, something that you think about when it comes to it. Verse 17 says, And he took the cup, where we just were, and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourself. Okay, what was in the cup? Had Jesus just cracked open the strong stuff? Well, verse 18 says, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Well, that's grape juice, isn't it? Yeah? Also referred to as both the cup and the fruit of the vine in the other gospel accounts, so that there can be no confusion. Because in the Bible, wine isn't always, well, it's, 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 we don't know whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic, because there's, there's not necessarily a clear indication of that, and it depends on the context. But here, with every single account, it doesn't say one, it, there is no confusion, it's the fruit of the vine. Yeah, it's clearly, and, and we see why as well, because we at this church believe that the Lord's Supper is with unfermented grape juice. Yeah. And I think everyone here sh probably has an idea of that, but if you're, you're unsure, you've been at these churches, well, so what's it all about? Why are they drinking wine? Well, it's absolutely ridiculous, considering that leaven in the Bible represents sin, and we're drinking, we're drinking what's meant to be a representation of, of the pure blood of Jesus Christ, how on earth would you be drinking alcoholic wine which has basically yeast, what's representing sin in it? I mean, it's completely heretical, yeah, isn't it? Right. Absolutely ridiculous. On top of the fact that Jesus clearly said, because Jesus is the word, and he said in Proverbs 23, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its colour in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That's fermented wine, fermented alcohol. We shouldn't even look at it. So how on earth are you going to partake in communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever you, you want to call it, without looking at it, well, it's going to be pretty messy, isn't it? Because there's going to be spillages everywhere, you know, this sort of thing, and people trying to take it. It's, it's, going, to be a, it's going to be a nightmare. But obviously, it's completely heretical anyway. It's ridiculous. Okay. Verse 19 says, And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. So we at this church also believe that the bread continues to be unleavened bread-like here, yeah? Because it represents his sinless body, okay? And again, like we said, leaven is, is a picture of sin. Jesus Christ was completely sinless. He who knew no sin, okay? So... Of course, that's why one of the reasons why it's unleavened bread. And by the way, there's also no hocus pocus in the back room there where we're somehow transubstantiating the bread and the wine into the actual physical blood and body of Christ. Now, you might be sitting there, some of you with blank faces going, what's he talking about others who have been in Catholic churches and know about the heretical teachings of Roman Catholicism probably have an idea what I'm talking about. So the Roman Catholic Church believed that they do some sort of special magic while they're wearing a dress and waving incense around and doing all that stuff and chanting and they somehow turn it into the actual physical blood and flesh of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't taste that nice would it? But um of course that's not. That's again completely ridiculous, isn't it? Now we don't believe that there either. He said this do in remembrance of me. 
Verse 20, likewise also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. So go back to 1 Corinthians 11.23. So obviously we don't believe that it's alcoholic, we don't believe that it's changing into the blood or the body of Christ. First, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So I don't believe that he's saying every time you eat unleavened bread and drink grape juice that you're showing the Lord's death. He's saying this ordinance, as often as you drink this symbol of my blood, yeah? As often as you do this ordinance, it's saying here, you're showing the Lord's death. And that's what we believe here. That's what Shaw Foundation Baptist Church believes, that it's to be done yearly like the Passover. To be done with grape juice and unleavened bread like the Passover. To be done together like the Passover, the lamb was a personal thing per household, the unleavened bread was all together. That it's a representation of his pure blood and sinless flesh, yeah? But we believe as well there are some other prerequisites for partaking in the Lord's Supper. The title of my sermon is Preparing for the Lord's Supper. Hopefully you understand what we believe there about what the Lord's Supper is and why it's like that. But let's continue reading 1 Corinthians 11 to see how we can do that. So verse 27 says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together under condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. That's a pretty strong warning there, isn't it? That's a pretty strong warning, something to be taken seriously. Yeah. Partaking the Lord's Supper is serious business, isn't it? According to this, it's serious business. And before you say, well, well, how come millions of Catholics and Protestants aren't all dropping dead and everything else? Well, it's not the Lord's Supper. Okay, First things first, most of the time it's done in the morning, that's not supper. Okay, but secondly, it's not the Lord's Supper when it's just done by some heretical, unsaved, false prophets in, in what isn't even a church, okay? That's not the Lord's Supper. Look, if, if they started eating bread and drinking wine, whether it was leavened or unleavened, in, in the mosque, yeah, it wouldn't make it the Lord's Supper, okay? So I don't look at the Catholic Church, look, look, just because they call themselves a church and they claim to have some teachings based loosely on some version of the Bible that, you know, whatever the latest thing is, but mainly on what the Pope says, it's not a church. It's yeah. not a church, it's not Christianity, and that goes for the Orthodox churches, that goes for, for you name it, for all these versions that just completely throw the Bible away and do their own thing, yeah? Look, if they haven't got the gospel, they ain't a church, okay? And none of those places have the gospel. So whatever they do there, look, let them do their pagan rituals, okay? And whatever, however they want to, you know, dress it up and make it look like it's something to do with, with the Lord. Look, I'm not interested in any of that. Okay, so here I'm, I'm interested in what we do at a real church, okay? What we do at a real okay, church. Amen. It says here in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Well, how do you do this unworthily then? Is it talking about salvation? 
Is it just talking about whether you're saved or not? No, I don't think it is. Although I believe that being saved goes without saying, doesn't it? Okay? Because how can you discern the Lord's body if you're not saved? Yeah, amen. Yeah, you can't. So obviously you need to be saved. But verse 30 is talking about chastisement. Mm -hmm. It says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And the term sleep instead of die, a term often used in the Bible for believers physically dying, yeah? Verse 32 is talking about the chastening of the Lord. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Verse 33, he's calling them brethren. Okay, we don't call the unbelievers brethren. So there are believers that are doing this unworthily, right? Yeah, you can see that clearly from that text there. That's, I mean, look, there's the obvious point here. The obvious point in this passage is don't treat the Lord's Supper like and eat as much as you can buffet. Okay, obviously. And Paul says in verse 33, Wherefore, my, brother, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Paul's saying it's not some rush to get food on board. Verse 34, And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. And most churches over, over the years have safeguarded this. I'm talking about real churches with small pieces of unleavened bread and little thimbles of grape juice, okay? So it's a bit hard to treat it like and eat as much as you can. And, and we've kind of got things in place, really, to stop that happening, because I don't think that was always the case at the beginning. Maybe there was just unleavened bread and, and juice, and some people were just stuffing themselves, others weren't. I don't know exactly how they do it, but if you've been here and you've been involved with how we do it, basically you get past a little cup of juice and you get given a little piece of unleavened bread, okay? So that's not really going to happen. Jesus did only sit, well, he supped, didn't he? So it didn't say after he glugged and guzzled and everything else. So we, we, we believe it doesn't, it's not that you need to get a pint of grape juice on board and, and half a loaf of, of unleavened bread. Now, how, how else this supplies about being unworthy is interpreted in many ways amongst what seem to be saved men of God. And I've been in many churches that have said, said, you know, differently with this. You've got, the, you've got one side of it which, which are literally saying it's only referring to salvation. Okay, that's what they're saying. If you're not saved, then you can't partake. And then the other end of the scale, anyone been in a church which has said, if you have any sin in your life, this is not for you. Anyone heard this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I've, I've been at a church which was saying, no, it seemed to have the gospel as well. If you have sin in your life, then this is not for you. If, you ha- if you're in sin... And you're looking at the guy thinking, man, you sinned this morning. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> While he's very, you know, puffed up going, if you've got any sin in your life. Because basically saying, I'm partaking, I don't have any sin in my life. Yeah. He's thinking, yeah, whatever, yeah. First John 1.8 says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If he really believes that, then, well, is he really saved? But you've got the, and, and I've heard many versions of this, if you have any unconfessed sin. Anyone heard that before? Yeah, a couple, yeah any unconfessed sin in your life but again is everyone here confessing every single bit of sin in your life yeah i mean if you're not even reading your bible and many christians sadly aren't do you even know what all your sin is? look even if you read it regularly every single one of us here is regularly going through the day not confessing every single one of our sins yeah okay so that's ridiculous as well any unconfessed sin if you're in sin so if you're in any sort of sin they try and say well what does it mean to be in sin how can you be in sin or not in sin? And again, it's very ambiguous, isn't it? And do we want to leave it ambiguous when you've got some pretty serious warnings from the Lord here, haven't you? 
pretty, do we want to just, well, because then you're sitting there going, well, I know I'm meant to partake in it, but on the other hand, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I think I, I might have said a slight lie this week, so I don't know if I should, or, oh, well, well I, I did kind of quite fancy that, that sports car that went past me the other day. You, you know, well, okay, so it's ridiculous, isn't it? So, well, you know, I've even heard, right, well, if you haven't been at church, you know, regularly, well, what's regularly? What, what, did I miss a midweek service? Did I, was I ill a couple of weeks ago? So it just makes, makes no sense. What, what do we believe here? Well, we believe here that, first off, you should be baptised. Okay, first off, if you're to partake in the Lord's Supper, you need to be baptised. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, you don't have to turn there, says, let all things be done decently and in order. And throughout the New Testament, believers get saved and then get baptised very soon after, don't they? Okay, throughout the New Testament. The Lord's Supper comes further down the line, doesn't it? Okay, the, so look, if you're saved and not baptised, you're out of God's will. Okay, you're out of God's will. And by the way, I'll include into that, and, I, and I'll say it just because I want to regularly say this because, look, it needs preaching, it needs reminding. I'll, I'll include into this, if you, got, if, if you got baptised when you were unsaved, w w you know, look, whether or not you kind of had it half right or whatever else, you got baptised when you're unsaved, you're not baptised. Yeah, right. Baptism yeah. comes after salvation but before yeah. the Lord's Supper. Because if you're not baptised, well, how are you following God? How are you in his will at all? Okay, so you need to get baptised to, to partake in the Lord's Supper. Now, before I go through this as well, um, in this church, I, I, I'm not here to police it, okay? So I'm not going to go, when we do the Lord's Supper next week, I'm not here to police the Lord's Supper, but I'm going to give you the warnings this week, and then it's up to you what you want to do with that, okay? And show you what we believe. So what else do we believe? So this passage is in the middle of a letter where one of the main subjects is kicking some pervert out of the church, yeah? Okay, 1 Corinthians 5, we've gone through this before as a church. If you haven't, well, turn to 1 Corinthians 5 anyway. Because in fact, when addressing it, he uses a comparison to the Passover, and you could say the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 5. In the first few verses of it, Paul is saying that there's this pervert fornicating with his father's wife. Now, whether or not it's his late father's wife or maybe his father's divorced wife, we're not sure, but it's fornication. And, and for me, that means that they're no longer, the father's not there still married. He then tells them to kick him out and says in verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven here representing sin, how eventually it affects the whole church. Okay, and, and the reason, the reason, and you've got to understand this as I go through this, okay, it's not because we're just so mean and we just want any excuse to kick people out. Sin affects the whole church and there are certain sins which the Bible is clear we kick people out of church for because it will affect the whole church. Mm. It's not that we're on a hair trigger to do that. Sadly, the vast majority of what are saved churches left in this world are not willing to kick people out of church. Mm. Okay, but we are because we just want to follow what God says. Okay, and He makes it clear, and He gives us a list of things here, and and a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little sin will affect the church. It will affect not just the kids; it affects adults. Okay, everyone is is easily desensitized to sin. Everyone is easily just influenced by what other people do. That's we're like that. As 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 strong as you think you are, as much as you like to act like you can't be influenced by anyone and everything else, we all get influenced. Okay, yeah, okay. That's one of the reasons why it's so important. Verse seventy says, "Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened."
heaven. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's saying to get rid of this pervert and that sin in the same way that the Passover was observed by getting rid of leaven. Yeah, we saw that, that they get, got the leaven out of the house. He then says to keep the feast not with the old sin or by replacing it with malice and wickedness. So that malice and wickedness could be either after kicking them out. Look, ultimately it's done in love really, isn't it? It's done in love, not just for them because we're hoping that they're going to be able to be restored, but also for, for the other people in the church. But, but also, you know, there can be a malice and wickedness, you could say on the other hand, a malice and wickedness by not kicking them out as well. But whichever way you want to look at it. But it's, look, here it says sincerity and truth. That's by doing things properly. So, yes, it's a comparison, but we believe that the following list of sins to be in would make you unworthy of the Lord's Supper. That's what we believe in this church. Why? Why? Because he didn't say this in 1 Corinthians 11. Because you should be getting kicked out of church. You shouldn't even be in the church. In fact, it says no, not to eat with them. So you shouldn't be partaking in any sort of food. You shouldn't be, in, and, and basically you shouldn't be in church. Yeah? It's clear that we shouldn't be fellowshipping with people in these sins. And, but we're not going to necessarily, I don't necessarily know. So I don't know if people here are partaking in any of these sins. Okay? If I did know, and if I'm sure, I'm going to kick you out of church with the backing of our pastor. But I don't know. So... But if you are, you shouldn't be partaking in the Lord's Supper, should you? Okay? Now, you could also say that if we as a church, if myself, our pastor, were just willingly turning a blind eye to this stuff, then we would be unworthy too, wouldn't we? Yeah, wouldn't we be unworthy as well? Why should we be getting involved in the Lord's Supper if we're just ignoring clear commands like that and not kicking people out? So look at verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for them must ye needs go out of the world. So he's not talking about people who are unsaved here. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Something not preached very often in most churches, is it? Not the most popular message. But it's a needed message, isn't it? Yeah. It's an important message for a church to be healthy and to thrive. Yeah. Verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, no, not to eat. So we're preparing for the Lord's Supper and that includes not being on this list. And also not aiding and abetting someone that is on this list. Yeah, wouldn't that go without saying? So not only not on this list, but not, oh, well, I don't want to say anything, but... Well, you're aiding and abetting and then you're basically, you're one of the reasons, as well as that person, that we're then partaking the Lord's Supper with someone that's on this list and should in fact have been kicked out of our church, yeah? Mm. yeah. Look, if you don't agree that it's referring to these sins in this letter and where we've got to in, in chapter 11, if you're partaking these sins and not removing yourself from church and then partake in things like the Lord's Supper, which is a reverent and, and an important 
ordinance in, in the New Testament, then look, God's going to whip you. Yeah, God's going to whip you. Take yourself out of church. Yeah, because if you end up, eventually it's going to come to light. Yeah, and when you're kicked out, it's going to be bad for you. And even before that, a lot of the time, that's why you know that's why I believe it's saying you know some are sickly, some sleep. Yeah, people can be. You, you do understand as a, as a as a saved believer, you God can just take you home early. Okay, He can just, and that's the end of any any more rewards you could have been earning. That's you know that's eternity. That's yeah. eternity that that look you could have done a lot more for the Lord. Okay, so. And I'm guessing by being in this church, everyone here wants to work for the Lord, don't they? Amen. Yeah, Amen. you're here because you want to do things for the Lord. Okay, so let's have a look at this list in a second. Because if you're on this list, yeah, and you think that you're worthy of the Lord's Supper because at least you're not going to treat it like and eat as much as you can buffet, then you're deluded. Okay, if you think, well, yeah, well, I'm on this list, you yeah, have things that should have had me kicked out of the church, but no one knows about it. But as long as I don't treat the Lord's Supper as an eat as much as you can buffet, then I'm not one of the ones he's talking about being unworthy. You're deluded. Yeah, because yeah, clearly you're unworthy, aren't you? Because you shouldn't even be in church, let alone partake in the Lord's Supper. Doesn't that just go without saying? So, number one on this list was a fornicator. And look, this stuff needs preaching about often. What's a fornicator? A fornicator <coughs> is someone basically having a physical relationship outside of marriage, okay? Someone who's not married having a physical relationship like married people do. And if you're a fornicator, then please remove yourself from our church, get right with God, because once it's discovered, you're going to get kicked out of church. And that's going to be hard for you to come back from. We would like to restore people. Look, people should get restored, but fornication's wicked. It's not, okay, right, out, come back next week. Okay, well, we'll kick you out. Someone point it out in the service. Kick them out. See you next week, you know, and you can come back and say, it's done. Look, we're, we're going to want to be sure that you are definitely not in that wicked sin anymore. Okay, and that is a wicked sin. And it, it doesn't matter what our world says, that is a wicked sin, isn't it? Okay, the Bible's clear about that. As, look, and all of us have been brainwashed for life. Most of our lives, most people here, probably the vast majority of their life hasn't been in the Word of God and getting their mind lined up with how God sees things. But now, hopefully, you're all doing some catch-up on that. And hopefully, when you read your Bible, you see how serious God takes it. Yeah, our world does it. And by the way, our world did take it seriously not that long ago. Our society did take it seriously not very long ago in this nation. Yeah. Okay, and it was an embarrassment. It was something that wasn't joked about. In fact, it wasn't something that now we see is just, just completely encouraged. Okay, but it is wicked. And if you're in it and you want to be making sure it's not, no one's even going to think you're in it. Yeah? Don't, don't be, oh, well, well, as long as they can't prove it, just make it clear. Make it clear. I talked about this the other week, didn't I? I talked about this with, 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 um, when I was talking about finding the right spouse. Yeah, you should be making it clear to the whole church that you're not in fornication. Because if you're not, why, why, do, you want, why do you want people in this church and kids in this church to be wondering? Okay, we, look, fornication is a bad sin, it's a grievous sin. Okay, covetousness. So what is covetousness? And here's a dictionary definition. Inordinately desirous, excessively eager to obtain and possess, directed to money or goods and avaricious which is greedy of gain so 
it's not just desire. Look, if you, you want to work well, you want to, you know, I'm sure a lot of people here would, would like to have a fairly comfortable life. That doesn't mean you're covetous. It's inordinately desirous, excessively eager to obtain and possess. And by the way, it's not just money, it's goods as well. Because there are people that are just covetous of other people's things, other people's stuff, other people's possessions. Okay, if, you're, if, if you are covetous, again, Remove yourself. If you're someone that just can't stop thinking about money and goods and people's things and gaining and how to earn more money, if you're sitting in this sermon right now and you're switching off and planning how you could earn some extra cash or what get-rich-quick scheme you can do next, just get out. Yeah, because we don't want that here because it's going to rub off on other people. Because, yeah, well, you're thinking, well, how's it going to rub off? We're all just sitting here listening to you preach, Brother Ian. Yeah, but look, you, you're all going to be conversing. You're going to be chatting. You're chatting with people when you're out soul winning. And people that are covetous, in the end, they end up having to talk about it because it's on their mind so much. And they end up talking about it and it rubs off on other people. Yeah, and they'll be out and they'll be sitting there and they'll be standing there drinking coffee and telling you about, you know, the way they can earn this and the way they can do that and telling you about how, how you can earn more money or how they've planned this or that. And it just starts to come out and then it starts to rub off and a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump and then next thing you know you've got a church full of people that think it's okay to just go on about how to earn extra cash and how to get richer and everything else okay so again covetousness idolater what's an idolater a worshipper of idols one who pays divine honors to images statues or representations of anything made by hands one who worships as a deity that which is not god so, worshipping as a deity, that which is not God, is probably something that would be more common in our society than necessarily the statues and images, although there might be some that come from Catholic backgrounds and others that are worshipping, you know, weird crucifixes with, with images of Jesus on it and everything else. But a lot of the time it's worshipping as a deity, that's basically making a God something that's not God. That could be a celebrity, that can be some sort of, you know someone in society, something, some, something in your life that you're lifting up above God. And again, look, and, and I can't, I'm not always going to know that, but eventually if that's something that's, that, that if you're on this list that we're, that we're reading out here, it's going to come to light eventually and you shouldn't be partaking in the Lord's Supper. Okay, and you shouldn't be partaking in our church. I mean, I'll go further and just say, look, just remove yourself, yeah? That's idolatry. What about a railer? Now, the dictionary definition of a railer misses something out where it says, one who scoffs, insults, censures, or approaches with opprobrious language, but, uh, sorry, one who scoffs, insults, censures, or approaches with opprobrious language. But railing in the Bible, and, and again, the dictionary I don't think does it justice, and it's something I've missed before when I've gone through it, is that it always involves some dishonesty. Yeah. It always involves some form of lying or deceit as well. Okay, so it's not that, because it's a bit hard to then classify if it's someone scoffing, insulting. Well, Jesus insulted people, didn't he? And Jesus didn't sin. Yeah, Jesus censured, Jesus reproached, but he's not a sinner. But it's when it's with a falsehood. Okay, so when you're, if, if basically, if you're a railer in this church, you're basically lying about people. You're, and it can be subtle. It can just be just a little bit of a little untruth that you're saying about people in this church. It doesn't have to be people in this church. OK, but that's but it's called railing. And again, if you're a railer, if you're someone that's basically bad mouthing with lies about people, look, it should be bad mouthing people anyway, but railing is, yeah. is one step worse, isn't it? Because you're bad mouthing, but you're doing it with lies, yeah? You're making stuff up, you're changing the truth of things to insult people, then again, 
you're going to get kicked out of the church and you shouldn't be partaking the Lord's Supper because how why should you partake in the Lord's Supper if you shouldn't even be in church what about a drunkard and a drunkard is something that again there's people would debate this well what's a drunkard is that someone that's physically addicted well I don't think so what about someone that has to habitually drink well what about someone that gets drunk what about someone that's been drunk recently look for me the bible's clear that we shouldn't even look at alcohol so if you're yeah. trying to follow the if you're trying to follow god yeah you want to live for god you're you're, you're here so you made the journey to church which tells me and you made the journey to a proper church as well you haven't gone well i'll just go to the one that's two minutes away on on the corner of the street because it's got church written outside that tells me that you you're probably quite keen on doing things for god yeah you're trying to live right you're trying to do his will and actually go to a proper church well if that's the case why would you be drinking why would you drink if you're not a drunkard why do you need to drink at all I don't understand. When, when the Bible clearly says not to even look upon alcoholic wine, when it says that, that wine is a mocker, strong drink is, is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, mm -hmm. why would you even drink? Unless you can't resist but drink. And if you can't resist but drink, then for me, I, I would like to, I would probably classify you as a drunkard. Yeah. Now, Again, I would, I would have to be sure that someone is to be kicking them out. But again, if you're someone here that's like, yeah, I don't care, I still, I think it's like, look, you'll justify it, yeah? You'll make your reasons why it's okay, why that special occasion, which just happens to be quite regular, those special occasions, <laughs> you know, or why it's okay, uh, you know, just, you know, well, I only drink on, on you know, when, when we have these certain family members around, but they just start to come around more and more and it ends up being a weekly affair. Or, or not even, look, for me, you're a drunkard. Yeah, and if you, oh, well, it's only when I'm with unsafe people. It's only, you know, with, the, with my mates afterward. I just have one. I don't get drunk. But why are you having one? So why are you having one? Because, uh, you know what, when you, when you stop drinking, when you hardly drink at all and you have one, it makes you a tiny little bit, insy wit, drunk. Yeah. yeah, when you drink a lot, one doesn't make you drunk. So if you think that one doesn't make you drunk, you're just telling me that you actually drink a lot of, <laughs> a lot of booze. Because basically you adapt, don't you? And if, and, if, and if it is getting you a little bit drunk, then you're getting drunk and, in my mind, you're a drunkard. Yeah. So, look, we, we, we give a bit of grace to new believers and stuff. It's all right, next week, that's it, cut it out. But, look, we'll preach it regularly at this church. We'll keep preaching it. It's wicked, okay? Drinking, drinking, I, look, and I come from a life where, yeah, I used to drink a lot, okay? And drinking, I, I can remember so many bad things. So many bad things happened in my life. So many embarrassing things I still cringe about now because of alcohol, yeah. okay? Alcohol just wrecks lives. It, it, I know many people who it actually has wrecked their lives. It's ended people's lives. It's been the reason they've died in car crashes. It's the reason they've died in fights. It's the reason they've spent years in prison. It, for many, many reasons. It's the reason they've done horrific things. It's the reason they've, they, they've cheated on on, on spouses, the rest of it, alcohol is wicked, okay? Alcohol will ruin your life, and, if you, and if, you can't, if you can't read the Bible and just take it for what it says about that, and you still insist on drinking alcohol, and, and especially if you're then going to be someone that's going to show that to other Christians as well, well, it's okay to have one, try and justify, you're wicked. Yeah. You're wicked as hell, get out, Amen. yeah? Get out of our church if you're like that, because if you don't, eventually you're going to get kicked out, yeah? That's alcohol. Okay, ex extortioner. What's an extortioner then? 
Well, again, you might think, well, in our society, do we really have that? Well, I talked about this before, and, and I'm going to repeat this one because I still, I still believe this as well. There are certain jobs where I consider you to be an extortioner. If you're a car clamper, if you're some private wheel clamper, you are an extortioner. Seriously, if you're going around and you're putting clamps on people's wheels and telling them they've got to pay your, your firm, whether it's your firm or the one you, you work for, based on a commission, by the way, most of these guys as well, hundreds of pounds because you parked somewhere and you were unsure, because a lot of the time it is in error, isn't it? You're an extortioner, you're extorting people. Right. That doesn't justify it, does it, at all? And, and, and another one with that, and I said this before, TV license men, yeah? <laughs> TV license, BBC, yeah, that criminal organization, forcing people to pay money. If you're collecting money for them and going around trying to threaten people with court case and everything else to pay some sort of license fee, you're an extortioner. You're not welcome in our church. Yeah, either get a new job or get out. Yeah, but here's another one that I heard preached a little while ago, which I hadn't thought about when I first preached this, is um, extorting people by using sob stories yeah, basically getting sympathy from people to give you money. So there are people that go to churches and then they're constantly telling people quietly how well they can't work because of this and they couldn't do and they've lost money because of this and they basically are tugging on their heartstrings to extort money out of them. That's extortion. You're extorting people because you're forcing them to give you money because based on making them feel sorry for you. Okay, a lot of the time they're lies, half the stories anyway. So again, extortioners, people trying to extort money out of people, and that could be for, through just bizarre schemes of, you know, again, it could be like get-rich-quick schemes where really you're just trying to extort money out of people. That's gone around churches many times, the sort of pyramid-type schemes and everything else. It's extortion, isn't it? Because you're just ripping people off to make yourself an extra few quid on them. Okay, so there's some obvious things there. But go back to 1 Corinthians 11, because there's another church discipline cause that's actually, I think, covered in 1 Corinthians 11 as well. Where it says, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 17. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise ye not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. Okay, so what, what is it? Well, he says, he gives them a first of all here. For first of all, excuse me, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So there are divisions in the church caused by heresies, yeah? Yeah. Turn over to Romans 16, because we're told to get rid of these people too. So he mentions those, there must, he says, um, there be divisions among you, there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest unto you. Look at Romans 16 and from verse 17, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So it's not necessarily damnable heresy because a lot of people look at this stuff and they think, oh, well, that's someone that's whispering, you know, you know, oneness Pentecostalism or someone whispering, you know, well, well you can lose your salvation or something else. Well, it's just it, here it says contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned because it could just be whispering against the church, couldn't it? Isn't that isn't that 
isn't that causing divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine? Because one of those doctrines, you don't have to turn to, is in that letter to the Romans, in Romans 13, 1, where it says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. And there's, there's, a, there's a hierarchy in the church, isn't there, that's ordained of God. So if you're causing divisions and offences contrary to that doctrine, well, we're told to mark and avoid those people, aren't we? Because, look, and it could be a number of doctrines, can't it? But that's an obvious one. So if there's people in the church whispering quietly, and, and it's not necessarily me, it could be about our pastor, couldn't it? It could be about our pastor. Little, mes little messages to each other, little, little whispers about something, whispers about myself, whispers about anyone in the church. That's contrary to the doctrine, isn't it? Okay, because what part of the clear doctrines, part of the teachings of the church is to have unity, isn't it, as well? So people that are, that are causing divisions and offences, the Bible says to mark them and avoid them. And if you're aware, and I've said this and I'm, I'm going to preach this regularly because this is what happens in churches, this is what's ha what happens in real churches, in proper churches. You might be sitting there going, well, I didn't see this, uh, you know, uh, old... You know, the Church of England church, where, where there was like five old people, everyone seemed to get on fine. Yeah, because it's not a real church, okay? The devil, you know, it's like it's one of his gang, okay? But here, this is going to happen, okay? And, and I'm sure it already has happened, okay? And, and the Bible says here that if they, people that cause divisions and offences contrary the, to the doctrine which you have learned, we're to mark and avoid. So... If you're party to that, if someone's doing that and you're not coming, I've said this before, if you're not coming and telling us, you're a problem as well. You're a problem. You have to come and tell us because if they're whispering to you, who else are they whispering to? Yeah? If they're causing division amongst you and whoever it is, it doesn't necessarily have to be just me. It could be anyone else in the church. And, and it could be subtle. These people are subtle. Okay, it's not always just blatant and, and because it's hard to, to have the goods on them a lot of the time. But a lot of the time, it's just a little thing here, just a little comment, just a little question. Just, just sow a little seed, <coughs> sow a little seed of doubt in you. And that could be from the outside, by the way, as well. Because you go, oh, no, he's preaching at us again. It, look, it could be from the outside, it could be from the inside. Okay, people do that. And they could be clever. They could get to the point where then it's you who's kind of causing the division. But you're thinking, <coughs> well, how did I end up feeling so annoyed with this but because people are clever how they do it it's very subtle the devil's clever okay we're told to avoid those people that means that they can't be sitting there eating the lord's supper with us can they that means that they're not to be in church how can we mark them and avoid them and then welcome them in on a sunday morning okay but you have you're responsible for this everyone's because again i'm not going to hear it they're not going to be coming to me going oh, do you hear about pastor thompson you know oh, blah 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 did you hear, you know Going to my wife, going, oh, do you know, brother Ian, I don't know about, you know, the way he does this, or the way, they're, the way they're keeping the church, or something else, yeah? They'll do it subtly, they'll do it to each other. You need to come and say that, or you're part of the problem as well. Because, yeah, you're part of the one who, who's part of that division, aren't you? And then you're not welcome either, yeah? If you're, if you're part of the division causing, you're not welcome either. Now, it could be a number of doctrines, like I says, we're told to mark and avoid them. But also he said in 1 Corinthians 11:18 that they're coming together for the worst because of the division. So it's not just a divider, it's a simple that are deceived that are being affected, aren't they? So they're coming together for the worst because of the divisions. So we're preparing for the Lord's Supper and part of that is getting rid of the divisions, isn't it? 
So again, if, I, if, if you're thinking, look, actually, I don't know how, but I have become a bit, just feel like, yeah, I've kind of got a thing. There's kind of a bit of our group and this group or, you know, just starting to get more irritated by new, the new people. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe there's newer people here, kind of, I don't know about these ones. Or there's people here that, that are starting to, to, to feel a bit kind of grieved and, and angry at the leadership or at certain people in church. Whatever it is, if you've been encouraged into that, this is a good week to get that out of your system, okay, in preparation. But part of that, if you know that someone's actually causing that, you need to come and tell me, okay? Please, you need to come and tell me about that because that is, you know, there's no smoke without fire, yeah? Okay? And, and same, if there's people outside doing that as well, because oh, I know this, look, I, I was talking to someone only yesterday who was telling me about, you know, pastors all the way up in Scotland that are aware of what we're doing here and trying to slag us off. Mm. Yeah, there's people all over the place, that, because, why? Because, because we're getting people saved. Amen. Because we're doing Amen. stuff for God, because we're growing, because we're out doing a work for God. And, and half of these people aren't even saved anyway, and they hate the Lord, really. But, Look, people, people want to attack us. People are going to attack us from the inside, from the outside. Everyone has a responsibility in, in guarding against that. Now, we've got basically a week to prepare. And on that, you know if you're harbouring resentment, you're harbouring animosity towards people in the church, okay? Get that out of your system, yeah? Unless, if it's justified, then you should be coming and seeing me. If there's a justified animosity towards someone, then come and see me and tell me why that is. If, and, and if you don't have a reason to come and see me, it's just irritated by this or that. And look, it's not always that someone has wound up. That can just be, look, that can, the, the devil can use people without them being children of the devil, by the way, okay? We can all be used by the devil to cause issues, to cause grief, to, you know, uh, uh, and things can just be magnified and, and you can start thinking on things which weren't even maybe really said in a, in a way at all. So I'm not saying, look, you need to be paranoid about everything everyone says, but you can get, make sure at least you get that out of your system. But if there's clear cases of people trying to stir things up, then you need to come and tell me. Now, we've got a week to prepare. So number one is by being baptised. We've got two baptisms this evening. Anyone else here that, that, that isn't baptised? Look, I'm not going to force you, but I'm going to encourage you. Okay, get baptised. By not being involved in fornication, covetousness, idolatry, railing, drinking, extortion, division... Yeah, not being involved in any way in any of that. By not coming on an empty stomach to save a few quid on dinner that night. Yeah, obviously. That's the obvious one there. Because God gives us clear warnings, doesn't he? So what are the clear warnings here? Let's just go over it one last time. Verse 28 says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Right, now, having gone through all of that, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, well, I, I, I don't agree. Okay, I don't agree. I, I agree with how whatever church teaches or how, you know, I, I don't. You don't have to partake. Okay, you don't have to partake in the Lord's Supper. Okay, no one's forcing you. And, and I'm not going to be right. Anyone here who's not here next week must be on the list of, of those sins. Maybe they just don't agree. Maybe they're ill. Maybe they can't make it. Maybe they don't want to make it. 
Okay, look, you, you can have that choice, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to bring it up to you. I'm not going to start questioning you why you weren't here for the Lord's Supper. It's a once-a-year thing, and look, what would be best would be to make sure you're right with God and to partake in what is clearly an important ordinance, yeah? That would be the best thing, but if you decide, no, no, I don't agree, oh, look, cool, okay, don't partake in the Lord's Supper. And look, and you don't have to, and being part of this church, that's... That's not a requirement. Being a member of this church, as Pastor Thompson teaches it, he wouldn't consider you a member if you're not baptised. Okay, so if you're not baptised in faith, baptised properly by, by full immersion in faith, yeah, by someone that you considered at the time at least is justified in baptising you, yeah, okay, so look, if you look back and you're like, oh man, that guy was some false prophet I've decided 10 years down the line, I'm not saying that you're, you're unbaptised, you have to go and get rebaptized. If it bugs you, go and get baptised. Yeah, but if it doesn't, it doesn't. But if you were saved and you believe that you were getting baptised properly by someone that you felt should be baptising as well, well, then, then look, I consider you baptised. But if you're not, well, look, get baptised because yeah. if you're not, you're not really considered a member and, and it's something I, I'm, I'm going to be a bit stricter on jobs at the church at the beginning but it was a bit of a build up to that okay and again look some people might not want you you might be going phew I don't really want to do anything anyway cool okay look, that's up to you okay <laughs> but now that look now that I'm, I'm able to baptise here okay I'm an evangelist I'm ordained to baptise people I'm an ordained man of God I have been baptising people I'll continue to baptise people if you're still not getting baptised then now that look, it's been a little while of that now since Pastor Thompson was here where we did get a load done we've had a few more then for me look you're not what we would consider a member look you come to our church as much as you like Okay, but if you're saved, you're clearly saved. Look, for kids, it's slightly different, obviously. Look, we, look, we, could, look, and we love everyone here. It's not that there's a different, oh, I treat this person differently. But for you to be part of the team, to be doing jobs in the church, you need to be a member of the church. Okay? And, that include, and being a member, basically, the qualifying criteria is to be saved and baptised. Okay? After that, the Lord's Supper, you don't have to do it. Okay? You don't have to partake, but you should partake, shouldn't you? Okay, we should all want to partake in it. It's something that's clearly set out there. You know, Jesus Christ clearly said, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, we're told to do it. I think none of that's a far stretch. You might go, oh, well, I don't think he was talking about all those things. Well, if you shouldn't even be in the church, you shouldn't be partaking of the Lord's Supper, should you? Okay, so that's pretty, pretty obvious, isn't it? And, and like I said, if, if you're on that list, well, for me, go and remove yourself for a while because if you, it, how embarrassing if you have to get caught, kicked out, and then that's going to be a hard ride back, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, on that, let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for, well, for, for giving us that opportunity to remember you in what is, a, a, you know, an important and, and reverent time, the Lord's Supper. Help us to all, um, to, to all prepare for that um, in the way that you'd want us to. Um, I hope that I've preached that accurately. I hope that I've preached that how you'd want me to preach that. And help people now to just just dwell on your word dwell on on what we I feel you're saying to us in these in those passages in the bible and and to want to be right with you to want to to want to be right with you not to be against you and and being against the church being being a problem being someone that shouldn't be, even be in the church is is 
basically being against you. So please, please just help people to get right with you, help people to make sure that, that they are right with you, help us to all just analyse, examine ourselves this week going forward and make sure that we just, just feel like we're doing, doing what we can for you and, and just, just doing what we can to be right with you and right, right whilst in this church as well. And, um, help us to, to now go out and, and continue to serve you by getting many people saved this afternoon and to return back for this evening's service. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Amen.